0: Have you had a dream of a job that you wanted or a company you wanted to start, but you didn't think that you could make any money at it? Or worse, did you wish that you could have that dream job and dream company, but you don't know where to start and where, like, what dream to have? Well, I have a treat for you today because I recently hosted a panel discussion about how to profit from your passion. And we had two top experts helped people finding that dream and helping them start to find careers based on their passion rather than feeling like they're trudging in their nine-to-fives. Today, we're going to break a little mold. We're going to share with you that panel discussion. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator podcast. And don't forget, at the end, rate and review us. Even though this is different than our standard, we want to know what you think of it. And so that more people can know about the podcast And come to listen and learn. Thanks so much. Let me introduce our experts. So we have two of our great bottom line experts. um, And um, I was going to say, Jane, I'll do it in reverse order. Jane actually um, was on one of my podcasts. We had a great chat about her book, Too Much Is Not Enough. So Jane has Um, Having transformed her art into a thriving, profitable business and spending decades speaking on the topic of strategies for growing your small business, Jane now guides remarkable individuals on their own journeys toward uncommon success. For more than 20 years, Jane's been guiding people to create passionate business lives that are balanced and truly meaningful. And she um, has a website called janepollock.com, and then you can learn more about her. And then we have Nancy Colomer, who I've also done some videos with that are on YouTube. Uh, Nancy Colomer is an author, speaker, and recognized expert on semi-retirement. She writes a monthly blog for the PBS site nextavenue.org and forbes.com, and is the author of Second Act Careers, 50-plus ways to profit from your passions during semi-retirement. And her website is mylifestylecareer.com. And then, as Elizabeth said, I am Sarah Heiner. I'm the CEO of Bottom Line. Uh, we're gonna talk for about, can you hear me? I keep going, should I pull this up? There we go. That won't work. All right, I'll make do. Um, we're gonna talk for about 60 minutes and then we'll have some Q&A at the, at the end. Um, let's start with a little show of hands. So how many people are working full-time at this point in time? Okay, most everybody in the room. So you're all kind of wanting to change your life. Uh, how many are working part-time? A few, okay, good. Um, How many are working, or are either working in the home or not employed outside of the home? And I don't mean like consultants, I mean like moms and that kind of stuff. So, good number. And how many people want to shift your status? (laughs) That should be everybody, you're all sitting here. (laughs) All right, so we have a whole bunch of full-time workers and some part-times, and I'll have some people that want to be shifting. All right, I thought a really nice way to start this, Jane is actually the poster child for turning passion into profit. So I thought it'd be nice to just start by having Jane share her story. um, And then we will go from there.
1: (laughs) So my career started at West Hill High School in Stanford. I thought maybe some of you were my students, 72 to 74. Oh my God. So I learned the craft of Ukrainian Easter eggs from a fellow art teacher. And my first reaction was, right, my first reaction was, you teach Easter eggs in high school. And I fell in love with, it, fell in love with the craft itself, was passionate about it, and did my craft, first craft show in 1973, the Pink Tent Festival, right near Bloomingdale's. And two amazing things happened at that festival. People who didn't know me and weren't related to me actually took out their wallets and gave me money for my art. And the second thing that happened was a woman from Bloomingdale, she was the head of special events, said, would you do a workshop for us in the spring on Ukrainian Easter eggs? And I thought, it's so easy to make money selling your art. It is not. Uh, anyway, fast forward. Um, that Those were my first experiences. Those who don't know what Ukrainian Easter eggs are, I bring this because a lot of people think, Eggs, yeah, that's nice, but they went from $8 at the Pink Ten Festival to um, almost $400 by the time I stopped in the early 2000s. Um, some of the highlights were I was invited by the White House to decorate eggs for the Easter egg event. Those became part of the Smithsonian. Um, I was on the cover of, my eggs were on the cover of the flax catalog that went out to 1.2 million people, including Steve Jobs, who called me and ordered two of my eggs. I was on the Today Show a couple of times, And uh, in the early 2000s, after 30 years of doing this art form, I thought I had said everything in eggs I needed to say, and I stopped. So that was, you know, I turned a a passion, this artwork, into a very successful business, not only making the eggs and selling them, making jewelry pieces, my friend Rosalie has her earrings on, I have my earrings on, but also writing a book called Decorating Eggs, which sold over 30,000 copies.
0: Phenomenal. I mean, think that is such an extreme but inspiring example
1: of what you can take a passion,
0: and a passion can be anything. And in fact, we were talking at dinner about how a passion doesn't have to be, if you're not arty, it doesn't have to be that you, you take your craft and turn it into something. It could be that you love interviewing people. It could be that you love, I don't know, it could be it could be anything that you're fascinated by, but whatever's passion, and there's a way to, to be able to sell it or to connect with people on it. So that's what we're gonna try and do today and try and dig out and find, find what's in your hearts. Um, We have a little exercise. We'll get to the the information in a minute, but we're kind of doing these little exercises. So Jane has an exercise that she likes to do when she she has a room full of people because it helps people kind of get their juices flowing and thinking about the topic. So Jane, you're on with the little pink slips of paper.
1: So there's a pink slip of paper for each of you. I'm gonna ask you to do something uncomfortable, which is to find somebody you don't know and sit next to them. I'll give you all the instructions first, and then here's the instructions. Um, the person with the shorter hair will go first <laughs> and they will talk for two minutes responding to the questions, what brings you joy? What do you really want? Because that's the basic question in coaching is what do you really want? And is it to be flexible, to you know, do something you love, to have freedom? You know, what do you really want? And what can you say no to? So in two minutes, you're going to talk to the person and the receiver, the person with the longer hair, your only job is to not respond to smile, give unconditional positive regard, and to just listen and nod. Is that no no responding at all? Uh, So a lot of us are stuck, you know, maybe carpooling children or taking care of somebody that they don't want to take, you know, doing something they don't want to be doing that's inhibiting them from really using, you know, following their passion. So you'll know, and uh, typically women have more of those than men do anyhow. So um, so you'll find somebody and then we'll switch. So you'll have two minutes. The person speaking will have two minutes to just be heard. Then we'll switch. The other person will have two minutes and then we'll have a minute to debrief.
0: There's no pressure in this. There's no right or yeah, wrong answer. Yeah, there's no right or wrong And if, answer, if you don't have so anything on, on the tip of your mind, it's okay. That's what part we're going to get to trying to figure that allow out. Allow somebody
1: right. to witness your process. So if you will find, sit next to somebody you don't know. I'll wait a second until you all find somebody. Okay, and switch. The second person, now you share the answers to those three questions. Ready, go. And now take one minute to debrief between you what you heard, what you wanna reflect back to the other person, what the experience was like for you. One minute to share with this person, to share both of you what it was like. Okay, you ready? (laughs) Any revelations? I'd like to hear anybody who uh, said something they were surprised to say or heard something they were surprised to hear. Well, now you've got
0: new best friends because you're all very chatty There you still. go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Good t- exercise, Looks like something Jane. touched a chord, right?
0: Well done. All right. Well, now that we've gotten a little warmed up and you've started thinking about like what what gives you some joy and what do you really want, let's talk to Nancy. Let's start to talk about how do you start thinking about where you'd want to go and what these passions are. So, um, Nancy, you've got some some preliminary introspection, retrospection, like where do they start? Because I wanna change, now what?
2: So you just had an opportunity to begin to do some introspection. And the fact of the matter is, anytime you are thinking about making a career shift, there are always three steps that people work through, and they take some time to work through them. The first is introspection, and we'll get back to that. Second is exploration, where you begin to research possibilities that are out there. And the third step is experimentation, where you take what you've learned and you try things out in very small ways. You might take a class, you might do some project work, you might do some volunteer volunteer work to see, is this a good fit? But tonight I wanna speak about the this very first step, the introspection step. And Jane just gave you some good questions to think about. But the trifecta question that you really want to hone in on when you're thinking about what's next is, what do I love to do? What do I do well? And what do I find most meaningful? And some of you have probably seen there's a Venn diagram that makes its way around the internet, that shows that. And it's the intersection of those three circles matched with the needs and the opportunities in the marketplace. That's where you find the opportunities to really profit from your passions. And so there are lots of questions that you can think about to get there. And as I said, it is a process, does take some time. But something that's sort of fun to think about, and oftentimes is a good place to start, is what's on your chuck-it list? And by chuckit list, we've all heard of a bucket list, right? A chuck list is what are the things that you are at a point where you say, I'm done. I am not doing these things anymore. Whether it's a long commute, whether it's working with difficult people, or whether it's being stuck inside in a drab office. But I challenge you to take some time after you go home tonight or perhaps over the weekend to write out that check list and then sit back and think about what does this check list tell me about what's next? Because oftentimes it's much easier to figure out what you do want by first stating what you don't want.
0: It's, they have a huge world. So the, the check it list exercise is so wonderful. Now, Jane, you've got your wheel of life.
1: Right, and so you're not gonna fill this out today, but I wanna show you what it can look like. These are eight um, segments that are in everybody's life. And what you can do is tonight when you go home or tomorrow or you know, in the next few days, fill it out for just this day. So what I did was I looked at mine for today. So this is what my wheel looks like. Right now, significant other is zero but it's not important to me right now. I've been divorced uh, nine years, um, so I changed the category to self-acceptance and self-love, and if I use that category, I'm at a nine. So if there's a category that doesn't feel right to you, you can change it, but this will give you an idea of how full your life is and how balanced it is. So mine's a little bit rocky, but it would be a fairly smooth ride if that, if that um, wheel went around. So take a look at it and assess. A zero is like, you know, for instance, there's physical environment you hate where you live, it's a mess, you know, you can't wait to get out of there, that might be a zero or a one. The thought is, what would it take to move that up even to a two? Is it cleaning out a drawer? Is it moving to a new location? Is it asking somebody to move out? So what you wanna do is not go from zero to 10, but to make any kind of a change in your life. And if things are working really well, you know, how do you bring the other, th- other things up to that level? So it's a, a nice, just what Nancy was talking about, you know, what do you need to say no to or, you know, what do you want to chuck? How, how does your life balance in general? So it's a great tool and I encourage you to try it at home and, and this is what it can look like when you fill it in.
0: And when they look at that and when they, they look at their, their great, I'll call them grades, but it's not really, nothing's good or bad. When they look at those areas, how do they apply that as they're trying to, again, figure out which way they want to go? When you have tens it's like and should they do it for here's how it is and then here's what i want or how interested i am in that area so um orderliness may not be something i'm interested in i I look at
1: where where i'm you know kind of low and right now health i just got a new hip (laughs) so right now health isn't you know it's improving but uh, you know in order to to take it to the next level it's going to be going to physical therapy and that will bump it up so look at where there's not satisfaction i'm i you know, my um, physical environment, I'm going to have a kitchen renovation. So it's an eight now. It'll be a 10 in, a, in like three or four months. So each thing, assess where you are, where you'd like to be, and what's that one, uh, one notch you can bring it up or two notches.
0: And I'm going to keep pushing. We're going to do a different, different versions because I don't know about you all, but when people ask me, especially as a, a mother and a worker, people say, what do I want? I'm so busy doing for everybody my whole life that when I get the chance for what I want, I have no idea, like I haven't thought about what I want in the longest time, so I'm going to keep pushing you guys for nuggets to to prod, because I don't know if anyone out there has the same kind of, you know, blockages, I'll call it. So um, Nancy, you have also, again, how do you start to think about what do you really want? You've been doing, you know, you've been processing taxes for years and years because that's what paid the bills and that's what you studied in college. Now what? So you talk about when you're 18.
2: Yeah, so I think it is very helpful to reflect back on when you were younger and think about the activities that you really enjoyed. And it's not just enough, though, to say, well, as a child, I loved playing with Barbie dolls. The important question to ask after answering that question is why? And I can tell you from my experience coaching people is when I ask people why they enjoy playing with the Barbie dolls, one person will say to me, well, I always loved the Barbie clothing. Another person will say, well, I always loved having the, the you know, scenarios between Barbie and Skipper and Ken and figuring out the different relationships. And one person one time said to me, well, you know, I had a Barbie house and I loved decorating that. Those are all the same answer with three very different whys behind it. So it's important when thinking back to your childhood to reflect on the why. What was it about those activities that really spoke to you? Because oftentimes what we really enjoy doing as a child, it sticks with us because it's just part of our DNA. And, you know, very few of us are really born with one clear passion. And everybody loves using the word passion. I mean, you know, my goodness, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. I've got it in the subtitle of my book. But the fact of the matter is, is that passion, that one overriding passion, a lot of people just don't have that. And so what I often advise people is take the pressure off of yourself. Don't feel like you have to find that one passion. Think of the word passion as an acronym. And P stands for people and personalities. Who are the types of people you enjoy being around? A stands for activities. Again, what are the types of things you most enjoy doing? The two S's stand for skills and strengths. What do you do really well that you would like to use going forward? I stands for interests. And then you match that with the O-N-S, the opportunities and the needs in the marketplace. And when you break it down that way, it takes the pressure off of you. You don't have to be somebody who has this one overriding passion. It can open up lots of possibilities for yourself and that can be a really liberating process.
0: But I think there are places also that you don't even realize how good you are at things and and that, that something is a passion or something is a place. You talk about, Jane, where you know, how do you spend your time, right? right? Because you forget it's your life, so you don't even pay attention to your special gifts.
1: So I was, um, for a while, after I was doing the eggs, I wanted to segue into something else because it was labor intensive, it was showing up at craft fairs, and and it was hard to market. And so I decided I would, uh, I wanted to become Laura Ashley because I was doing all these, um, you know, beautiful surface design, but I wanted to make it something that could be more of a commodity. And so I took classes at FIT, I love painting, but I noticed on weekends, rather than running to shows to see fabrics or, you know, uh, checking out tabletop at Macy's, um, I wasn't doing that. So my question is, where are your feet? What do you do anyway? And what I noticed that whenever I got in the car, I would put in a cassette, that's how long ago that was, and I would listen to something... (laughs) <laughs> no, they were, you know, the little cassettes. That's right. Was it wasn't uh, in the 8-track
0: tape. It was still a cassette. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and I would listen to something educational. And what I realized is that no matter where I go, I'm learning and teaching, learning and teaching. And so I became a coach. You know, it was a very natural and a, a professional speaker. So what do you do anyhow? Do you just love cooking? Do you love being around children? Do you like nurturing people who aren't well? What is it that you do no matter what? And so ask yourself, where are my feet? And notice that. It's very much what Nancy was saying, but you may not even notice it because you do it anyway. So there are people who are passionate about entertaining, passionate about culture, passionate about reading. There is something in there that you can develop into a business. One thing I didn't say with my, with my egg decorating is that I, my keynote speech was, if I can make a business out of this, you can make a business out of anything. And I firmly believe that because, you know, who ever heard of an egg decorator as a career? But I, I created that, so. Opportunities are there. Absolutely. Now,
0: Nancy, what about looking at where people come to you? Because, again, we're, we're busy looking at ourselves and our lives. But you talk about where do people come to you? How are you the go-to person?
2: Yeah. So one of my all-time favorite questions is, what are you the go-to person for? And think about that both in terms of the workplace and in terms of your personal life. You know, you may be the accountant at work but you may be the go-to person for technology-related problems. And in your personal life, you may be the go-to person that everyone comes to for resources, or to plan parties, or for fashion advice. And along with that, think about what are the types of problems that you really enjoy solving, that call you, call your attention. Because at the end of the day, every business is created to solve a problem. And so if you're somebody who just can't stop yourself from noticing what somebody is wearing, then that might have some implications as to what you want to do in your career life. If you're someone who just can't stop themselves from giving relationship advice Again, what does that say about what you should be doing? So think about those questions. What are you the go-to person for? What can't you stop yourself from doing? And what types of problems do you really naturally enjoy solving?
0: Do any of these questions and decisions about creating these businesses and pursuing these paths change or differ depending on your life stage? That if you're younger and you have, you know, you're you have kids that so you have support, you're at a, you know a different stage of requiring money versus when you're what I'll call the second, act, you know, your second act career. You're later on. Most of your big spending is done, and now you have the freedom to be able to back off a little on the money goal.
2: And there is a time when a still not. Okay. there is a time when maximizing your income and providing for your family might be your primary driver. And there will be other times in life when you are going to be at a point where you decide that you're really ready to do something that fills your soul. And so you really wanna think about where am I now in my life? What are my priorities? And of course, the conflict comes in for a lot of people when you're still at that point where you need to be paying the mortgage and paying for the kids' college, and you're still looking to feed your soul. And that's why I say to people, this can be a process, but if you spend time figuring this out and coming up with some goals that you can work towards, what people find is even if they only have the opportunity to chip away at some of these things in small ways, that it can help alleviate some of the pressure and the stress that they feel because they know that they're moving towards something. And so it is a step-by-step process. um, And sometimes that can be hard. It does require patience.
0: Start, can you start building your passion business bit by bit, I'll call it on the side? I mean, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have started their side businesses while they were working, and, and it doesn't mean that these passion businesses also can't create a lot of money. I mean, it, it depends on how it grows, but is it, can, they, can you start on the side and weave it in? I mean, how, how, how do people do that?
3: Yeah,
2: in many cases you can, and quite frankly, in some cases, it's really difficult. You know, there there are people, particularly in this area, who commute into the city. They're already putting in 12-hour days, and that can be a tough proposition. Um, You need to somehow find that time in the margins sometimes. But one really uplifting podcast that I would strongly recommend people listen to if you're interested in pursuing a side hustle Anyone here familiar with Side Hustle School? Yeah. It's a great podcast. It's 10 minutes a day. And every day, seven days a week, they feature people who have created all different types of businesses on the side in their spare time. And that's what they talk about day after day after day. And I think what you'll find is when you make it a point of finding sites like this and listening to them or reading these types of stories that you begin to surround yourself with inspiration and hope and possibilities. And that can make a real difference in your mindset as well. So I strongly recommend that site.
0: Are there any other websites that people can go to for inspiration?
2: Yeah. Or, so another site um, spelled a little bit differently this is called sidehustle.com spelled side h u s l dot com and that's a really interesting site it was started by a journalist and what she does is she reviews all of the different types of side hustle platforms that are out there you know we're all familiar with things like Uber and Lyft but now there's this whole gig economy that dog walking and people who create meals and, you know, in-home chefs, all sorts of things. And she has hundreds of these sites that she reviews. So I, I think that's a extremely helpful site as well for people to look at.
0: What about that good old-fashioned Bible of job hunting, what color is your parachute?
2: <laughs> well, I sort of laugh about what color is your parachute. I greatly admire Dick Bulls, but I say that um, Parachute is a little bit like The Joy of Cooking. Most people own it, and it's on our bookshelves. It may not be your favorite cookbook. Um, So I think there are some, quite frankly, I think there are some more engaging books on this subject. Um, One of my favorites that came out recently is one called Design Your Life. That's written by two uh, professors from Stanford. It's an excellent book. Uh, strongly recommend it. And another one is one that's been around for years and years called Wishcraft, W-I-S-H Craft by Barbara Scher, S-H-E-R. Some of you may have seen Barbara on uh, doing some of the PBS specials. And, you know, I read that book back when I was in graduate school, getting my master's in career development a few years ago. And it is still one of my favorite books out there about figuring out what's next. Um, And another book that I I highly recommend is um, Barbara Winters, and I just totally blanked on the name of it, Um, but it's something like The Jobless Life or something to that effect.
0: Um, So Jane,
2: how does someone
0: decide, so we're talking about creating your business or creating your career passion, but what about if they, don 't necessarily want to be their own person, and they want to work like how do you, you know, how do you juggle pursuing your passion, maybe doing it on your own or working in an area working for someone else in your passion area well, I think yeah
1: Responding to Nancy. Um, I, my mantra is don't quit the day job. You know, If you're working and you want to do something else, stay in the day job. And an example was my, my brother moved out to California. He got a day job and he wrote a screenplay getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning working for an hour and a half. And it lifted his whole day because he was doing what he wanted to do and then the, the regular job didn't seem as tedious to him because he was fulfilling his passion. So it's really, uh, for me, uh, the, there's an assessment of your values. What do you really want in life? How do you want your life to be? And if you're fulfilling that, then the rest of it doesn't feel, you don't need as much, you're, more, you're happier, um, you don't need the, all the extravagances that, um, uh, what's the word, trappings, you know, that actually trap us because you're happy doing what you do. Um, I love the saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if you're happy, if you're writing, if you're cooking, if you're doing something that you love, you require less from life, you require less monetarily. So I think there's a part of that. Um, So I'm a big advocate of trying it on on the weekends, trying it on in the morning. I, I live in the city now, I know dog walkers who are writers and they walk the dogs for three or four hours a day and then they write for five or six hours a day. So it's all doable if you can let go of what the shoulds are, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, and actually begin to invest in what you want to do time-wise and giving yourself that space to do it. Yeah, and I was
2: totally agree with everything Jane just said. And the other thing I would add is that if you can find some sort of support system that is incredibly helpful. Whether that is one other entrepreneur or an entrepreneurial group, and there are lots of those in this area. We're very, very fortunate. That can make a big difference too because then you have a group of people who you can exchange ideas with um, and who will be your biggest cheerleaders. And the other thing I would recommend is, as I said before, is find some outlets, whether it's, it's a podcast, whether it's a blog, that has positive stories, uplifting stories, that you can read on a daily basis because it's almost like you know, taking a shower each day and cleansing your mind, and it just gets your day off to a good start. And sometimes I will take that Side Hustle podcast and it will be the first thing, first thing I will listen to in the morning. It's like, CNN, Side Hustle podcast, Side Hustle podcast, because that's gonna get my day off to a much better start.
0: Well, So let's go back again, and I'm going to push on this because it's part of figuring out who you are and what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy in terms of how you spend your days. So is there somewhere, Jane, I don't know if it's back in your circle exercise or something, where you're also evaluating what your skill set is for any of this? Like some people are brilliant artists, but they may not be salespeople, or someone may be a great salesperson, but they may not be a great bookkeeper or financer. So that... You know, you're kind of alluding to this, Nancy, in terms of needing to find a partner or a complement to help you to pursue this. And how do you, you know, how do you figure out what piece of it you want and what piece of it you don't?
1: Well, as somebody who's worked for myself, you know, for thirty plus years, um, I'm a, a big delegator because I know what I don't do well. And um, what I have in my life is I have a uh, actually um, the person in the audience used to be my action partner. We talk three times a week. I have somebody in the city now where I talk you know, to somebody say, this is what I'm going to do, so there's that backup and support. I have something called a visions group where we meet every two weeks by Zoom and we support each other. And then I have a financial group that meets once a month where we know each other for four years now. We meet monthly to talk about our goals. And what I get from that is people reflecting back to me Where I was, you know, two years ago, Jane, you know, you you complain about that every December that you feel like you're going out of business and then in January you don't know how to manage it all. So it's people who have a perspective on me who can give me feedback because I have my own narrow tunnel vision and can't even see myself. So it's wonderful to have people who can reflect back to you. But also to have people I delegate to and there's now Upwork and... Um, TaskRabbit, and places that you can go online to get people to do things. So I have people who teach me how to use QuickBooks online, I have people who do copywriting for me, a guy in California. So I delegate a lot because I know those aren't my strong suits. So I have a ton of support.
0: And we talked about this a little bit also, just the concept of test driving some of these things because you think that you'll love... garden design or something. you may you know think that that might sound great to do all, you know, all the time for full time, except that when you get into the reality of it, you're digging a lot of holes in your back and it's killing you. So suggestions for you know, ha- t- test driving before you get into it.
2: So because we are living in the gig economy these days, it has become much easier to find project work, freelance work, where you can test things out. So for example, I recently interviewed somebody who had been a vice president for a company and when he retired, he decided he had always, he just loves animals and he wanted to spend more time around animals. And he decided, he was thinking about maybe starting a dog walking service, but he just couldn't see himself going from being a vice president to being a a dog walker. So what he did was he went online and he signed up with Rover.com, which is a platform where you can list your pet pet sitting services or dog walking services and he tried it out through rover and what that did for him was he was able to rover did all the the web work for him he didn't have to worry about creating his own website doing his own billing they they take took a cut of his profits but it was an easy way for him to test out his interest turned out that he absolutely loved it and he's Finally decided to stay on Rover because it was actually doing very well on there. So that's one way to do it. Another thing is just take some classes. That can be a great way to get yourself out of the house, to really immerse yourself in a new direction and see, is this something that really speaks to me? Um, Everything's great in theory when you're sitting in your house and thinking about it. But until you begin to put yourself into that world, you don't know how it's going to, to feel. So classes are great. And the last thing I would recommend is there is an association for every type of business that you can possibly think of. So one of the people I interviewed for my book is was somebody who had been uh, in the PR world. And because I wrote my book in 2010, a lot of the people who I interviewed were coming out of the 2008 financial crisis. And so she really, she had very little business. She was desperate to figure out what to do next. Um, she had moved a number of times personally. And so a friend recommended that she check out the possibility of becoming a senior move manager. Senior move managers help people downsize from their forever homes into their, an assisted living or a smaller apartment. And what she did was she went out to the annual conference of the National Association of Senior Move Managers. And in one week, she learned all about this new direction. She met lots of people in the industry. She had an opportunity to listen to leaders in the field. And by the end of her time at the conference, she was really excited about moving in that direction, and that's what she ended up doing. So that can be another great way to really make a, a pretty significant shift in, in what you're doing.
0: All right. I'm going to change the piece now. So now everybody's really excited. You have your list. I see you're all scribbling notes, going, all right, I'm ready. I'm excited. I know where I'm going to go. And tomorrow morning or next week, you're going to go, maybe I can't really do it maybe all those excuses come in. So we're going to talk about excuses now because that's what holds us back from being able to pursue these grand dreams. So let's talk excuses.
1: Jane. <laughs> on the list we have um, I can't afford and I, uh, when I run groups of uh, entrepreneurial women, I have uh, five or six words that you're not allowed to say. Try, just, little, should, and can't afford because can't afford means I'm choosing to use my resources elsewhere. It doesn't mean that you don't have the money. It's that you're choosing elsewhere. So I never buy that. That's a you know that's a a spiritual fear. It doesn't actually exist. So um, my when I come up against any obstacle, I have a handful of people that I can immediately text and say, I am afraid to start this right now. And somehow, just by putting it out into the universe, something shifts. And very often, within minutes, I get back a you know a, a text saying. I support you. I hear you. I'm scared to do this. Let's check back with each other in five minutes. The best tool that I have is a timer. I'll say, I haven't started my 2019 tax return. I dread doing that. I have all the information, but I'll you know, I'll commit to a friend. I'm going to do it. I'm going to set the timer for 20 minutes and then I begin. So, you know, I work from home alone. It's, you know, that's a great place to go and just get in the fetal position. So I I expose myself to other people and I let them know what my fear is. They share theirs and then I do it anyway. So we all have fear. Um, The acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real, doesn't really exist. So, you know, whatever you can use, and for me, it's, you know, a goal buddy, an action partner, somebody else out in the universe who I can say, I'm scared. We're all scared.
0: And how do you help coach them past the fear's needs?
1: Well,
2: I think Jane just said it, that part of it is finding someone who you can be accountable to. Another thing I know that helps me is I know when my high energy times are during the day. I'm a morning person. So if I have a task that I really don't wanna do, what I say to myself is, okay, you need to get this done by 10.30 this morning and then you can go take a walk or you can go do something. So it's tackling things when I have the energy to do it is very, very helpful. Um, let me share a story from one of the women who I interviewed from my book, because I think it illustrates the, the whole idea of fear so well. I interviewed a woman who uh, had just recently retired from being a policewoman in Staten Island. And she was someone who you know used to walk the beat, and she would arrest thugs and prostitutes and all sorts of unsavory characters and what she always had really wanted to do, though, was to be a stand-up comic. But she was scared to death to pursue this, and so finally, she decided, okay, you know I, I've wanted to do this for a long time, so I'm going to just try taking a stand-up comedy class so she started with the class and since she was around other people who were just trying it out for the first time she felt a little bit more comfortable Uh, everybody else was new and then she started trying out her act in you know really tiny comedy clubs and began to get more comfortable with it and the more she tried things out the more confident she would became she would become and then she would also gain competency Well, what happened was one of her friends taped her and put the tape up on YouTube. And then she got a call from a woman who ran a comedy club called the Italian Chicks. And this woman happened to be Italian. She said, we just lost one of our members. I saw your tape. Can you send me your information? Completely out of the blue. So I said to her, "Um, wow, that's fantastic. What did you do? She said, I hung up the phone and I did nothing. I was scared to death because suddenly this was becoming real. And the woman had asked her for her headshot and her bio, neither of which she had put together, and she ignored it. She went back to trying things out again, and eventually over time she said, all right, you know what, I'll go get the headshot done, I will write my bio just in case anybody else calls, guess who called again four months later. And at that point she was ready to respond and she ended up joining the group. And she said to me, how ridiculous is that? I'm someone who walked the streets of Staten Island, but this scared me to death. And so it really is about trying things out in small ways so that you gain both competence and competence. So Some
0: people will say that it's not the right time. Like they'll want to do it and suddenly they'll get afraid that it's not the right time. Now, this is an illustration of somehow she wasn't ready and then she was. Um, But is there another aspect of people talking themselves out of doing something because... It's I, not the right time. I
1: wanna share about a client also. And, and this, is, uh, that hap- this happens to a lot of people where they have so many things they like to do. And it's like, well, if I don't do this and I do that, you know, they're, they're scared to focus. And one of the things I do as a coach is I say, you know, for 90 days or 30 days, just focus on this, which can be very painful you know, to, to stay with it and to say no to everything else. So this client was, she was a goldsmith, she painted, she was a photographer and she had developed a new interest in, in um, uh, manila rope. And I said what about for 90 days if all you do is the rope and she you know took this big (gasps) you know and she did it and she loved it she what you have to do is get over some barriers there's a book called the work of art which is focuses on a woman who's a potter and a lot of people can throw a you know a bunch of clay and get it you know get it to form a bowl but to actually get the sides of the wall very thin takes 10,000 hours. That's one of the, I think that's one of Malcolm Gladwell's things, You know, 10,000 hours. And you have to spend that time. So Susan, my client, decided to just do the, um, just do the rope. And I have a picture of her. She's now getting five-figure commissions. So this is her in front of her rope sculpture. And she looks back on that time as being afraid to focus on one thing. And I think a lot of people are afraid to put all their eggs in one basket, but sometimes that's what you need to do.
0: So how about what if I fail because that's also a fear you know if I jump into it what if it doesn't work now what and it's not really that it doesn't mean you can't come out nothing's permanent right you can always back back out if it doesn't work okay
1: I again. had a counselor from score who said entrepreneurs fail their way to success so everybody fails I'm failing all the time but I'm failing upward they say fall forward you know so I'm failing upward you know three-quarters of the things I do don't work but people don't think about that. Think of, you know, some of the, I, I'll say Woody Allen, I know that's controversial, but you know, most of his movies aren't that good, but the few that are, are outstanding. So we don't look at everybody's failures. We think about what is the cumulative work that you're doing. So you, you can't be afraid of failure. You've got to keep trying and, and always raising the bar. It gets boring if you keep doing the same thing.
0: And there are definitions, there are different versions of fail, as in, what if I decide to try this and I decide I hate it? Will I be embarrassed? Will I have to you know, eat crow with my family or friends that I said I'm gonna go do this and they said I was crazy? So there's what if I just don't like it versus what if I hasn't succeeded yet and then iterate and iterate and iterate. And we all know many stories of all these grand superheroes, celebrities, business heroes who were, were failures. You know, Fred Astaire can't sing, can dance a little. Um, that kept trying and trying and trying. Or you know how many times did was it Edison and the light bulb and it didn't work right, so keep trying.
2: I think also sometimes it pays to ask what's the worst that's going to happen if I fail, because oftentimes it's not that bad.
1: One other podcast. um this it's at a higher level than what Nancy's talking about is how I built this. These are like the major Peloton and uh, Tate's Cookies and all that, you know, huge successes. But they all started like us, you know, with with a side hustle. Uh, the woman who owned what was the name of it before? She, it was something before Tate's Cookies. It had another name and she lost all of her business. So she had a huge failure, but then came back and had own, complete ownership of Tate's Cookies. So hearing their stories, it's all hard work. It's all hard work, but that's why you want to do something that you're loving. Because if you're going to work hard, it might, be, might as well be doing something that you enjoy.
0: And you can't be so prideful that you won't realize that you might have to shift. You know, your idea of how to market it or where to market it or what the recipe is may not be perfect. You might people need to take short some memories. feedback from they don't, others.
1: You know, they don't know what yeah. you've committed to. You know, we're the center of our own universe. But people are like, didn't you do textiles? Nobody ever remembers that part of my, you know, career aspiration. They, they don't. we well, not, not that important. I was also
0: thinking just the, to be a little humble that you need help. Back to that you need your, your feedback from, and supporters from people around to be able to get feedback from people and, and hear that, okay, maybe it didn't work. Why didn't it? And get feedback from people on it.
2: I think it can be really helpful, too, to read autobiographies of other entrepreneurs. Don't just read the magazine articles, because the magazine articles tend to gloss over all of the the failures and mistakes that were part of the story. But when you start to read the biographies, then you learn there were a lot of struggles along the way.
0: Now, are there any, call it most often, hurdles that come up when somebody starts? Um... that that people need to be forewarned about or think about that knocking on doors may be difficult or you might suddenly, you know, the the growth that now you had success and suddenly it was easy to paint, you know, uh, an egg a week for somebody at the farmer's market, but suddenly when you got in demand now, how am I going to be able to paint all these eggs? I think you got assistance that, that helped you out. So are there standard challenges that people need to be aware of or think
1: of? I think that it comes up in everything. I think there are always going to be things you didn't know, you didn't know. And that you then, you punt, you know, you figure it out and, you know, call people and ask people. And today with the internet, things are so much easier because you can access anything, but I can't think of anything that was a smooth upward cycle, you know, everything comes back and comes back.
2: I think a lot of people struggle with sales. Sales and marketing is really hard for people. A lot of people start a business because they love love the idea of going into jewelry making or being a chef, but you have to be able to sell and market your business. And so that oftentimes can catch people off guard. All right. Should we take some questions?
0: Okay. Who has questions that they, they want to ask and answer, Jane? We have some microphones around? We got the microphones? I'll bring a microphone. Anyone? Okay. You're all deep in your passions,
3: huh? <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, say it again. My name is Lana, Hi, Lana. and I was a professional for more, almost 40 years, and I'm not working anymore. And last four, five years, I am doing my little toys for my grandkids. For now, I reach the point when I do them almost professionally. This year is 2020, the red, but I am doing them in a funny format, because it's not like red, really. And, but I came here because I was thinking, I got idea, maybe I can do something out of my work, where to sell them, or how to do profit out of my passion. And this is what I really want to do, uh-huh. because when I finished college, gift for me from my husband was knitting machine. Uh-huh. So much I love it. All my working years I didn't have time. Programming, project management, all these projects, never. Now can, I, can I hold I can this do, Yeah, you could These are beautiful. This Look is at these. This 2019, Jane. and this is two thousand. Look at these. Those are beautiful. And before that, I had a little doggy for 2017. No, 17 was little chicken. <laughs> <left>. <laughs> They're fabulous.
1: Quick
0: thoughts that we could share with the room? Um, I, I, I can't see you. If you can just kind of come over. I I, no, I, Jane can't quite see you.
1: Do you want me to, they're they're knit at They're a, fabulous. They're fabulous. Right. I would suggest doing a you know craft show and putting putting it out and seeing what the audience sees. You know that's a great way to test your pricing, because they look like they should be forty five dollars or more. You, on Etsy, there you go. Etsy, there you go. Nineteen. Put them on
0: the table in the back and get a sign up if people are interested. There you go. Yeah, Etsy of course. Right, well, you'll put it on the table in the back. You'll show them. They'll all ask you. <laughs> she has no
1: beautiful.
0: Okay. They're beautiful. All right, we'll talk about it. We'll put them in the back.
3: Okay, so, so I know people who are working full-time in the real world and who would love to go out and do something different, but they worry about health insurance. So what do you say to, to those kinds of uh, you know, financial issues?
2: Health insurance is a big and serious problem. And that's why when Jane said, don't quit your day job, if you don't have another way of getting the health insurance, I think you need to hold on to your day job until you're able to build that business up to a point where you can afford to buy the health insurance on your own. I wish I had an easier answer for that. I mean, there are, um, there are things like the freelancers union that, and different associations that offer health insurance, but at the end of the day, it's very expensive. No easy answers on that one. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: that's a huge problem just say it loud in case anyone didn't hear
2: the question is disability insurance another insurance challenge yes and again I wish I had a great answer for that but the reality is it's a big problem but in my life as as a human resource person i found that aflac is affordable for people um if they're going to do something that doesn't have the big disability insurance that you might get at work um and it you can do it as much as you as you can afford and then if something catastrophic happens they really do pay you so um that's that's something that's out there that, that might be affordable for somebody that has what a company can cover give but
0: you can't get it as an individual oh so that's
1: yeah that's right that <laughs>
0: Years ago, when I had a business of one yep, of an insurance OK, I was just going to say years ago, I, I was an independent consultant, and I was a group of one. So there were insurance companies out there It was a few years ago, where I could be a group of one, so it was corporate. This is a whole I think we have a story coming in that we're going to are you writing it down? We're gonna need to do a, an article about insurance for uh, startups, okay. Sandy.
2: As an entrepreneur who's worked for myself for 12 years, I I now have something called Liberty Health Share. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it, but it's a much less expensive way to get insurance. The, it's a little wonky, but there are a bunch of health share options out there. So it's it's like $200 a month and they cover a lot. Uh, so just wanted to put that out
0: there and I'm guessing and we can do another an article about this that the options are going to be growing as health insurance gets more complex more expensive choices people get more frustrated that there are going to be more unique offerings that are coming up other question if it's insurance I'm not sure I can answer (laughs) but we'll put it in the story list Um, So, as an entrepreneur, I am struggling sometimes with being a single person who has to manage different aspects of the business, so that being, you know, the marketing and the sales and the design and the, so there's so many things and starting out, you know, you're just trying to stay above, you know, going into the red. So, it would be wonderful to be able to hire out and to do all of that, but, it's something that's not always practical when you're just starting. So how do you balance those,
1: those things? You all know Noelle the Day Spa? She was, um, she spoke at, I used to, uh, there was something called the Entrepreneurial Women's Network and her graphic designer was there. She spoke one afternoon and the graphic designer, she wanted her to do a brochure um, for her. And it was, you know, that was when Quark was coming in and all these new things. And, and the designer said, I don't know how to do that. And she said, learn. And, you know, that's really what it behooves us to learn all this stuff. So I took courses. I was commuting, I was, when I was in Connecticut, I was commuting to New York every other week for something called Mind Your Own Business. And they covered business law and sales and marketing and image and all kinds of things. So we have to learn. And that's part of the excitement of it. And what I say about being an entrepreneur is that I would not like to do anybody else's accounting. But when it's my numbers, I'm fascinated by it. So there's an interest because it all serves you. So, you know at the level that you are learn what you can and there's lynda.com where there are amazing courses online that you have access to so you know it's part of the learning is that you you have to learn all that until you earn enough so that you can delegate it out to somebody else and that's a you know a huge relief when i didn't have to do my own database and you know entering stuff into my newsletter list i was so thrilled because then i could spend the time doing what i do best
0: i think you also mentioned are you going to mention fiverr
1: uh, no, what I was going to say is that sometimes
2: also you can find another entrepreneur who might have a strength and you can essentially barter your services um, where they can help you. you know, so let's say you're good at writing copy for the website and perhaps they're good at uh, the sales and you can help each other out with that. So sometimes that, that's an option as well.
0: And then there are these websites, I don't know if you're familiar with Fiverr and some of the others where you can hire people and the prices on them, a lot of them are shockingly inexpensive. Any other questions? One more in the back? I Didn't wear my running shoes.
2: (laughs) So maybe I'm being unduly optimistic, but with most of these entrepreneurial efforts, you're either selling your time or you're selling something you've made and those are both kind of self-limiting you know, by how much you can produce, other than writing a book, or are there other sort of frameworks for earning money where things sort of start multiplying without being limited by your time? I've seen some people selling online training courses, for example. What other things can we be thinking about that multiply the returns?
1: I don't know that I have the answers. You're talking about scaling up, you know, where you have something and then you can scale it. And that's not my area of expertise. I mean, it's great if you, and I've written three books. They're not money makers. You know, what, what they are is somebody said, it's a thick business card. It gives you the opportunity to speak. And I, and I like that because when I speak, I usually get clients or I get other, or I get paid to speak in some cases. So um, yeah, that's, you know, that's how, so you figure out how is it going to multiply itself, but mostly you're right, we're selling our time.
2: The whole area of digital products is one way to leverage that and there are a growing number of platforms online like Teachable or Thinkific where you can produce courses and I've seen people do that very, very successfully. So whether you're selling some sort of e-product online or some sort of course, that's a way of scaling your efforts. And as Jane said, the, you know people write a book and you make money from the book. Um, you, excuse me, you don't make money from the book, you make money because of the book. So what you're able to charge as the author of increases when you have a book out. We have a question back here. Um,
3: actually a tip, since we are in the public library, um, with your public library membership,
0: and you can talk to librarians, you have access to lynda.com. I found that out recently. So you don't actually have to go and pay for any of this training. It's free with your uh, library membership. So you can access it from anywhere from home. You don't have to be here.
2: And the other thing I would recommend in terms of free training is there are, uh, there's a whole industry of entrepreneurs online who are trying to sell their courses to teach you how to make great YouTube videos, or how to, you know, sell more, or all sorts of other things, the whole business of entrepreneurship, and most of them offer free webinars and free training in order to entice you to sign up for their more expensive programs, and so if you find someone who you really feel is of value, then great, But oftentimes you can learn a heck of a lot just by signing up for those free webinars. And of course, there's YouTube, which also has a tremendous amount of training videos there as well.
0: All right. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Jane. And thanks to all of you.
2: So just a reminder. So the Bottom Line Yearbook
0: is what I call the greatest hits of Bottom Line Personal. So it's great how-to advice on money, on home, on travel, on... All sorts of things that you can help to have a, a more informed and more actionable life. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you again, library. Kelly, is there anything else I'm forgetting? Sign the clipboard if you want to get emails from us. They're backed by the cookies. And bring cookies home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.